0: Welcome to this latest edition of the WFI EPO Weekly Podcast. Today is a very special Southampton-themed edition. I'm Ellis Palmer, and I'm, I'm your host, and I'm on with Daryl Morris, a Southampton fan. How are you, Daryl? I hear you in Southampton tonight.
1: Hi, Ellis. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I am in Southampton in a crusty little suburb just the other side of the city from St. Mary's Stadium. Nice,
0: nice. So, how did you find the game against Liverpool yesterday, then? You've got to be pretty happy considering the
1: result. Yeah, I'm very pleased. Uh gives me a chance to aggravate Dave uh, when I get the chance to uh, talk to him. Yeah, that was, I thought that we were going to be the smaller team that Liverpool actually turned around their lousy form on. I thought we were going to lose that game. But we nicked the draw and we could have actually stolen the uh, the game off them at the end there if we'd have taken advantage of the two-on-one that we had. Indeed, Milner's
0: penalty miss was unfortunate to say the least, but we'll come on to Fraser Forster later and how crucial he's been for Southampton this season, but Southampton are pretty solid in the this season. I mean, they're 10th place, 34 games played so far, 42 points in the last 10 games, so they've only had four wins, they've had three defeats and three draws, but how's the season been for you so far?
1: I think that our our league position and our points totals, they look deceptively solid. This has not actually been a great season for us. It's been kind of a, a step back from where we've been before, which is understandable. We finished very high last season and I wasn't expecting us to reach those heights again. But at the same time, some bad choices have been made at the top and we've paid for that a bit. It's about two months ago, I was genuinely concerned that we might get dragged into the relegation fight. But the team and the manager managed to turn it around against the odds, in my opinion.
0: And as a club, you're a team that's been to hell and back. More specifically, League One and back. Blackburn, a former great team in the Premier League, won the league only 22 years ago this weekend, have now been relegated to League One. I mean, have you got any messages of hope of Blackburn fans? Maybe patience, maybe? Or, you know, what's your take on how to come back up from League One?
1: I wish I could offer hope to Blackburn fans, but their circumstances are very different from ours. Uh, when we went down, we were actually kind of in a worse state. We were on the brink of going out of business. But in the end, that was kind of the Phoenix from the ashes type situation because it resulted in our being bought by a much better group of investors by the Liebers. Um They were the ones who bankrolled the club and turned us around. My concern for Blackburn is that they're stuck with Venkis and if Venkies don't sell them, they might not come back fast. It's a bad situation for them. It's similar to what would have happened to Saints if we'd have stayed under the managership of our old board as opposed to the new guys who we got in.
0: You just despair don't you really for Blackburn and what they're going through but Obviously, the new ball came in, new ownership came in. and Would you say that's what propelled Southampton towards promotion and towards the Premier League once again?
1: Yeah, it definitely was. Um, we were effectively the man city of League One. There's, I, I'm not going to be pretentious about it. We bought our way out of League One. Um, we were spending seven figures on players like Jose Font and Ricky Lambert when other teams down there were spending five, maybe six figures on their players. We just had a better squad because... The owners were prepared to invest big and to invest big early when there was a lot of other people would not have put extra money into the club, having already forked out as much as they did.
0: No, and you just got to hope that Blackburn can find a way to rise out of the ashes. But we were speaking earlier on, and he was saying that there's been some changes in the board situation this season. Talk us through those.
1: Well, it's not so much that there have been real changes in the board. There has, I mean, we've had like one of the directors has left this week. That's not really what's happened. I think that what really happened at Southampton was we went to the well once too often with regard to selling and replacing players. This year we were less ambitious with our signings and too slow to make them. So we sold if our two top goal scorers – Um, Graziano Pella and Sadio Mane and then we replaced them with a winger who is not really a goal scorer and then we waited until the last day of the transfer window in January rather than September to sign a striker to replace Graziano Pella Um, in the interim we lost Charlie Austin to injury it was just it was bad stewardship on the part of the of the board there they let too many players go didn't sign appropriate replacements fast enough and they were firefighting for the rest of the season that's not to say that I'm going to turn into some kind of bored malcontent they've done brilliantly for us and I'm hoping they'll do again uh, do the same again uh, this summer and turn around this slightly dodgy but not terrible season
0: so obviously you've just qualified it as there is a slightly dodgy ter- but terrible season how do you think clubpool yours did then in his first season you know' it was a he was, for me, at least, a relative unknown. And you yes, you watch a lot of French football. You're not really going to be all that aware of who he was. But he came in and he's done reasonably well, hasn't he? Obviously, Southampton previously, they've had Pochettino, they've had Ronakuma, they've had managers who've gone on to really great things. But how's Puyol done for you this season?
1: Uh, I actually think he's done very well. I see a lot of Southampton fans complaining about him uh, online, especially on Twitter, the eternal home of... Uh, internet malcontents I think he's done well I alluded to the striker situation that we had we effectively waited six months too late to get a striker I don't blame him for that because we have directors and um, performance directors who are responsible for most of the, the signings it's not him making those choices I'm sure he wanted another striker we've spent the first half of the season unable to score goals because we didn't have an extra striker once Charlie Austin got injured that you can't blame the manager for the fact that we can't score goals. We were creating loads of chances. We just weren't putting them away. And then thereafter, we wound up conceding too many goals because we wound up selling Jose Font, which was understandable. He wanted out. But then, but, excuse me, Van Dyke got injured. So we should have had reinforcements in place there to give pool more to work with. I think he's done really quite well under it's far more trying circumstances than certainly kuman ever had. If he'd have had Koeman's squad from the last two seasons, I think we'd have been fighting for the European places again. So what sort of
0: structure is he working under at the club there, then?
1: It's, it's quite a complex, it's a very European-type structure. Um, the main man behind signings is generally considered to be Les Reed, who is very much a club man. And I'd Even though they've had a dodgy summer and a dodgy winter transfer window, actually, for that matter, aside from getting Gabbiadini, they should have signed a centre-half. I think he's done well for us in the past, and I think he'll do well for us in the future. I just think they need to learn from this season. It is quite a complex structure that we have. We have a very, very good scouting system. Um, A lot of people committed to checking players from all over the world, not just Europe. It just surprises me that they were caught short like they were this season. I think it will be fine for the future, though.
0: So, obviously, getting to his first season for most managers, what would be defined as a success would be, you know, getting to a cup final. How did that feel, getting to the Carling 1 cup final, and obviously losing to Manchester United? But Southampton did very well to get there, didn't they?
1: You mean being robbed in the final by the officials? Yeah, we did well. And I think that not enough saints fans talk about that cup final when they reflect on what pool's done as manager he's done. He did great to get us there, getting us past Liverpool with home and away wins in the semi final. with, I mean, the first leg we were lacking a striker, the second leg we were lacking a center half. We were going in there with effectively our third and fourth choice center halves for that game. And he got us past them. That, that was fantastic and reaching the final it was a disappointing result because we should have taken the lead we were robbed by terrible officiating if we'd have taken the league in that uh, the lead in that game we could potentially have gone on to take even more to extend the lead because Manchester United were all over the place early on the officials bailed them out but I can't really complain about it it's it's one of those things and it was it was a great day for the club could have been better but yeah I think that in a way, it's kind of been underestimated down here. Um, we haven't paid as much credit to Poole for getting us there as we should have.
0: I mean, mid-table in a cup final in your first season at a club out like itself Southampton is, is pretty decent, really, considering what previous managers have had to contend
1: with. It is decent, um, but then it is still at the same time. I mean, if you leave aside the cup final... Um, It is still kind of also a step backwards because we were far stronger in the league in the past, like two or three, uh, certainly the past two seasons. But then the squad was stronger. Uh, We had players like Schneiderlin, Mane, Pella, uh, Wanyama. I think Poole has done really well with what he's had. I'm just hoping that the club will strengthen in the summer so we can see what he can really do, because the football that he's playing is, in my opinion, better than Koeman's. There's a lot more creativity. We control the ball better in midfield. We don't rely as much on long balls up to a big striker, which Koeman did a hell of a lot when we had Pella up there. Yeah, I'd, I'm pretty hopeful for the future under pool
0: I mean, let's talk about the say of Gratchano Pella. I mean, obviously, he's gone over to China. I don't know how he's doing there this season, really. But he was a talismanic striker and sort of a personification of Saints, really, wasn't he? How did it feel for him to be sold in the summer?
1: Uh, I thought it was a fair decision um, because he only had a year left on his contract and he'd made it clear that he wasn't going to sign another one. And there's big money being offered. We were basically offered if what we paid for him, which was about £12 million. Pounds. You're offered that for a player at the end of his contract. I think that's you've got to take that, even though he's a fantastic player for us. Very underrated in terms of his holding play and the the effect that he had on all of the supporting forwards of the midfielders, bringing them into play around the box. Very underrated in that regard. But at the end of the day, £12 million was a good deal in the circumstances.
0: Obviously, you've talk, you've alluded to Jose Fonte leaving. What were the circumstances behind that? Was it just that he spent enough time at uh, Southampton and wanted to move to another club? Or what, what was the situation there?
1: Uh, I think Jose Fonte's head was turned a bit. All the All the speculation in the summer after... Euro 2016, with him obviously being fantastic in that competition, was that he was going to get the big move to Liverpool, the big move to United, etc. And to be fair, for what he'd done at Southampton and with Portugal in that tournament, that was probably justified. He was probably due that kind of move. But it didn't materialize. And he'd kind of thrown his toys out of the pram behind the scenes a little bit from what I've heard. Hence, he wasn't being played in European games. Maya Yoshida was being given those games. Uh, We were planning on moving him on. In the end, those big moves didn't materialize. So he wound up being jobbed out to West Ham, which is is the very definition of a sideways move, in my opinion. So, yeah, he missed out. But again, eight million for a 33-year-old center half. You can't complain about the business.
0: We're going to take a short break now and then we'll be back to look at Southampton's top players from this season. I just thought I'd take a quick break here to tell you all about the other podcasts that World Football Index has available. That's Football Grad on Russian Football, Dagen Pressing on the Bundesliga, the Champions League podcast, the Sound of the Liga on Guess What? La Liga and the Serie A sit-down focusing on the Italian game. WFI is also global. We've got great coverage in the Americas too. The South American Football Podcast and Don't Call It Soccer on the MLS and the League MX are great listeners. The Copa Libertadores podcast is also well worth checking out. If you're one for nostalgia, we've got a monthly World Cup series taking you up to Russia 2018. And the 11 Pieces of Me podcast, where football fans and journalists construct their favourite all-time 11. Last but not least, the tactics part with Stevie Green is our most popular part of the week. Discover the variety of high-quality analysis we've got at World Football Index by checking out our feeds on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your podcast of choice today. Welcome back to this Southampton-themed edition of the WFI EPO Weekly podcast. Joining me is Daryl Morris, and we've spoken about the uh, season that Southampton have had up until now. We've spoken about club for performances and the structure that's in place at the club. We've given some hope and optimism, I hope, to Blackburn fans out there. And we've spoken about getting to the cup final. But now we're going to talk about Southampton's players this season. Now, some have previously called Southampton Liverpool B. Is that a fair characterisation in the last couple of seasons, given me the interchangeable nature between the two clubs almost?
1: No one's called them Liverpool B around me, uh, probably because I'm quite large and it wouldn't end very well for them. No, it's not really fair to characterise us as that. We are definitely a selling club. We can't deny that. At the end of the day, there is a pecking order in football, and that is kind of the way it works. But I think that when a club is as good at regenerating a squad as we have been less so this season, but still we have done quite well this season in terms of replacing key players eventually. I don't think it's fair to characterize us just as a selling club. We are a kind of shape-shifting club in a way. It's like a, um, a less successful version of Sevilla. The players leave, but we find others who come in and do the job at least as well.
0: I mean, so many of the players have previously been at Southampton have gone on to bigger and better things at, at Liverpool and at Tottenham and other Premier League clubs. I mean, Ricky Lambert, Adam Milano, Dajan Lovren are now at Liverpool. Victor Vanyama is now at Southampton. And Luke Shaw's now at, well, Gareth Faye will be the obvious one, who's obviously now at Real Madrid, but Southampton sold him to Tottenham. And Luke Shaw's now at Manchester United. You know, you've, you've got a very good conveyor belt there of sending talent on to... Other big clubs in the Premier
1: League, haven't you? Yeah, we do, Um, to varying degrees. I mean, Ricky Lambert, it was more that we were giving him a chance to go to his boyhood club. It was his, like, he wasn't going to be getting another contract with us. We let him live his dream because we, w- we knew it was time to move him on. Other players, Bale was quite a while ago now under a different regime that the the deal on that one wasn't as good as it would be if we were doing it today for example but yeah most of them have been successful Lovren joyously because he's a complete turd is not having as great well I say he's not having as great a time he's just been not given a five-year deal with Liverpool I don't know what the hell they're thinking giving him a six figure per week contract he's barely competent um, but Lalana's doing well I'm not happy about that because Lalana left under bad circumstances. I'm quite happy for the likes of Nathaniel Klein and Victor Wanyama, though. It's good to see them doing well. Also, Sadio Mane, Luke Shaw not having as good a time, but then he's under <laughs> my least favourite manager in world football, the uh, Portuguese prick Jose Mourinho. Yeah, hopefully he will come good at a different club.
0: Indeed, indeed. But Southampton is a is a thing that's quite in common where it Southampton tend to buy young players, develop them, and sell them at profit. Would you say that's correct?
1: Um, certainly to a degree. I mean, some of the players who we've, um, we've sold on have actually been academy products from here, the likes of Bale, Shaw, uh, Lallana, although we, we actually signed him at once very young from Bournemouth. Um, but yeah, we do sign players like Mane and Lovren who are of a good age to be developed and moved on for good sums later. In the case of Lovren, they, Liverpool massively overpaid for him because he was, he was carried through a season by Jose Font, and suddenly everyone thought he was world class, including me at one stage. Uh, Mane is probably the best example of that. He we signed him young, and he's become he's become a real, real top player for Premier League level.
0: Let's talk about the latest player who's been linked to that conveyor belt of Southampton players going to top Premier League clubs. Virgil Van Dijk has been linked with Chelsea, Manchester City, and Arsenal. What are your thoughts on Dyke? Do you think he's a he's a fantastic player and could go to one of these clubs, or do you think as Claude Puyol said, he has the authority and leadership of the team and should remain at Southampton?
1: Uh, he's been linked with a lot more than them. He's been linked with pretty much every medium to large club in uh, in the country. He's fantastic. Um, he's pacey. He's Big. He's strong. He's very technically adept. Very skillful. He's a. He's probably the closest thing the premiership has to a, um, a kind of a Gerard Piquet type, classic sweeper, advancing defender who can bring the ball out of defence. In my opinion, he's pretty much bordering on world class already. I'm not sure if we can keep him for an extra season. His injury right now might help, because it might put him in a position in which clubs bid less than Southampton are willing to accept for him. Plus, he's got five years left on his deal. If it comes down to it, teams will need to pay big to get him because Southampton know what they've got. We've got one of, if not the best centre-half in the country. Eventually, he is going to move on. We know that. I think I've got a strong suspicion it's going to be another year yet, though. I think it will be summer 2018 when he does move on.
0: Obviously you guys signed him for quite a bit of money though, thirteen million back in twenty fourteen. I think they could quite easily recoup that money and I think he's a thirty, forty million pound defender. Do you agree?
1: I at this stage I wouldn't accept thirty for him. I'd grudgingly accept forty, but I would be trying to push towards the fifty region for him. He's young enough and talented enough. He's got that kind of growth within him that really we can hold teams to ransom for him. There there will be enough teams interested in him. You look at Chelsea Cahill's not looking the best. Conte likes to play a back three, so they need as many centre-halves as they can get in. John Terry's done. You would think that they're going to be involved there. Arsenal could use him. United could use him. Every big club in the Premier League has a dodgy situation with their centre-halves right now. We should be making them fight over him. It, It should be mortal combat to get this guy's signature.
0: Let's hope my team, Manchester City, are going to be in the race to sign Virgil van Dijk. Moving on to somebody who, at least in the medium term, could be a successor to my team's former goalkeeper, Joe Hart. Let's talk about Fraser Forster, the Southampton up He's been a bit come day go day this season, but the 29 year old's been, I guess, solid in goal for Southampton at least.
1: He's been reasonable. Last season, when we had Kuman in charge, we had Stecklenburg in goal. And. And Stecklenburg was basically like having no goalkeeper. If a shot hit the target, you you had a strong possibility that it was just going to go straight in because he was garbage. I have no idea why Koeman subsequently signed him for Everton. But then Forster came in and it was just like, thank God. Now everything's solid again. He was making saves. He was claiming everything in the air. And for much of this season, he has actually been like a stars in their eyes version of Stecklenburg. He has just been... Not reliable, not like he normally has been. He has been off form for most of this season. Ironically, we're coming to this conversation now after he's just had probably his best game of the season so far at Liverpool. He was much more reliable there, obviously saved the penalty. Um, Hopefully he can keep up that kind of form because in the past, that's what we've seen from him. He's big, he's dominant, he claims things and he is an excellent shot stopper. So hopefully he can shake off that Stecklenburg shroud he's been wearing all season and get back to being Forster.
0: Indeed, indeed. It could be... You know, obviously he's the England second choice at the moment for Joe Hart, but do you think in the medium term he could be a more sustainable England number one? And do you think he could go to move on to a a sort of top, top level Premier League club or maybe to a top club abroad?
1: Um, I definitely think he could become England's number one but that's largely because Joe Hart is easily as erratic as Forster so that the competition between them is quite close at the same time I actually think Southampton he is one of the ones that we could hold on to because I don't think he's been shining so much that other teams are going to fight to get him like they will do for the likes of Van Dijk or possibly Oriel Romeo in the future I think we can hold on to him. He could he could go to a bigger club and make a success of it, but I'm not sure that they will take that chance on him when they have the likes of Courtois, De Gea, Cheek, uh, various other. Maybe Liverpool could potentially because Mignolet and Carrius, neither of them have looked any better than Forster, that's for sure.
0: Southampton and once again, Liverpool B, then.
1: <laughs> yeah, you can say that because you're a very long way away from me.
0: Let's talk about Ole May. He was at Barcelona initially, Barcelona B, only made one appearance for Barcelona's first team, and then went to Chelsea, on the to Valencia and Stuttgart. But he's come to Southampton, he's, he's over 50 appearances now, and he's only
1: 25. He seems to be a pretty solid defensive midfielder, wouldn't you say? Uh, he's more than that. He's our player of the season, uh, I think. Obviously, Van Dijk would have been in competition if he hadn't have gotten injured, but without Van Dijk out there, he is definitely our player of the season. He has been fantastic, very solid, good distribution. You can see that he's come off that kind of Barcelona defensive midfielder production line, like a budget Busquets in a way, albeit a lot more aggressive and a lot less likely to dive.
0: You know, you talk about him, he he did pretty well at Chelsea when he was younger, but obviously got round out because they've got their own sort of production line that they sort of prioritise by moving players around Europe. Is Romelu somebody who you could potentially see moving to a top six Premier League club in the future?
1: Conceivably, yeah. Um, he's We seem to have a knack for developing those players. Not necessarily producing them, but definitely developing them. Schneiderlin came through with us having been signed from France. Wanyama came down from Celtic and just became like a lion in midfield. And now he's pretty much, I think, Spurs' best midfielder at the moment. Obviously, Ericsson better creatively, but Wanyama, a great all-rounder. Romeo seems to be following that kind of pattern. He's a real leader in midfield for us. I'd hope we can keep him, but I I could see a bigger club moving for him. I don't see it being the likes of... um, a City or a Chelsea, but again, maybe a Liverpool or an Arsenal. Arsenal could definitely use him. Let's talk about the club
0: captain, Stephen Davis, the central midfielder you guys have got at the club. He's now made over 150 appearances. Would you say he's a sort of um, kingpin in midfield for you guys? He's been a bit of a club for since 2012 now. He's probably one of your longest serving players, isn't he?
1: Davis, he's one of those players who, when he first signed no one was entirely sure what his role was. It's like, he's not fantastic at tackling and he's really unreliable in front of goal. And then he got dropped out of the team. And then all of a sudden we realized what his role in the team was. He basically holds the midfield together. He's got great distribution. He's got a good engine. He just, he's one of those players who just knits the whole team together and makes it function without him. We do not look the same. We do not work well as a midfield unit. And I think he's fantastic. Um, he's, he's not someone who I think would wind up going to a bigger club. I don't think he has that kind of standout attribute in his game, like th- the amazing defensive work of a Wanyama or some great goal scoring or creative passing ability. But he is very much a, um, a midfield linchpin and he's great for a club like Southampton
0: let's talk about Pierre-Emile Heusberg this is somebody who when he was at Bayern Munich was really really highly rated by Barcelona sort of his you know star has fallen in previous years but he's he's had a decent season would you you say at Southampton so far this season he's come in and it's been fairly solid
1: yeah, Hoyberg's decent. Um, I was kind of hoping for a bit more. I was hoping that he was going to stamp his authority and his class onto the onto the team. He's definitely got it. He's our best technical midfielder for certain when we see him on the ball. Again, he's almost he's he needs some more time to bed into Premiership life, I think he hasn't done enough where he can displace a Romeo or a Davis. Or even a War prowse at the moment. He will get there. I just think it's going to take a bit more of a adaptation. I've I've got big hopes for him next season.
0: And Dušan Tadić, previously with Graciano Pelle up front, I had a really good in cup play whenever I saw Southampton play last season. But has Tadić coming to his own? Is the star waned a little bit, or is he has he improved significantly? What would you say about Tadić?
1: Uh, Tadic Tadic has waned a bit, in my opinion. He's not quite at it this season. He is hugely talented. On his day, he's very creative. He presents a goal threat, but he's not been in his prime this season. Uh, He's been overshadowed quite a bit by Redmond, who, with his pace and directness and his dribbling ability, seems to just create more the irony bit that Redmond can't really score goals very consistently and Tadic is a bit better in that regard but Tadic is not getting himself into the positions to do that it's it's not been his best season but again he's done well for us in the past I don't see any reason why he can't recover once we've got a more stable front line ahead of him
0: and you know let's talk about that front line you mentioned it as being relatively unstable but Let's talk about Nathan Redmond. He's somebody who I remember bursting onto the scene as a kid at Birmingham City. He did fairly well there, went to Norwich. I thought he, whenever, whenever I saw Norwich play, he he played well, but obviously Norwich went down to the Championship. He wanted to look for a Premier League club. He's come to Southampton. And every time I see him, he looks like a a decent talent, you know, the equivalent of maybe Sean Wright Phillips in his day. Maybe he lacks a little bit going beyond defenders, but. He's certainly a talent when you say Nathan Redmond.
1: Oh, he's a huge talent. His big problem coming into Saints is that we lacked goals. So we lose Pella Mane, worth about 30-odd goals a season as a pairing. Um, We've replaced them. We already had Charlie Austin. We had Shane Long and we had Jay Rodriguez. So what do you have there? You've got Charlie Austin, who's a consistent goal scorer, but not quick. And he gets injured very easily. Shane Long... Very quick, very willing, great worker, but not a consistent goal scorer. Jay Rodriguez gets injured, uh, returning from a knee injury. He's never been quite right since. So we were kind of relying on that as a front line and as front line options. And then we bring in Nathan Redmond. Well, Nathan Redmond's got a lot of Great attributes to his game. He's fast. He's very skillful. He can kill his man if he gets him one on one. He has scored goals for us this season, but he's really a classic winger, and we don't play classic wingers. He's definitely getting there and he's definitely making an improvement, but he was judged very harshly early on because he was seen as the direct signing replacement for Sadio Mane. He doesn't have that kind of goal scoring potential in him. But now that he's found a role within the team in which he's acting almost like a dribbling creator more than a through passing creator. He's he's become quite essential to the team. So it was a big shock to me when he was uh, dropped from the starting lineup against Liverpool. I was expecting us to have him there for the counter attacks.
0: In my free time, especially during the summer, I watch a lot of Gaelic football and hurling. And Shane Long is somebody who I've always enjoyed watching on the football pitch because to me he plays like a like a corner forward within hurling. And he runs and runs and runs. He takes the ball past the defensive players and the cornerbacks, as they're called in as they're called Herring, but he never really is the one who always finishes off the move. Would you say that's a fair description? Obviously, would previously at other clubs, at Reading, etc. He's had really good goal scoring tires and he can finish. But I, I, I love to watch Shane Long as a as a running corner forward.
1: He's kind of underestimated in my opinion. Um even at Southampton, people were not happy when we played as much as we did for him, just because he doesn't have the goal tally. I think that last season was his best goal-scoring season in the top flight. Uh, About 15 goals, I think he had. But he's really more of a foil for someone else. So he's fallen off a bit this season because we've been playing more of like a lone striker with two supports. Uh, So when he's been coming on, he's been playing as the main striker due to Austin being injured. So what he does best is he... He harasses defenders. He causes them to make mistakes. He's one of the fastest players in the premiership. So teams have to move the ball fast to keep it away from him or he will be on them and he will just do that all game.
0: So to be fair, you're right in what you say there, Dow. Shane Long is essentially the corner forward in Gaelic football. And he runs and runs and runs. He takes it past defenders. He's not necessarily the one who scores all the goals, but he's the one who runs with the ball and has the tricks and whenever I watch him play he just reminds me of a corner forward and hurrying.
1: yeah he d- he creates opportunities for other people not so much with like great passing or great shooting but with his constant aggressive movement like he will force a defender into making a stupid square pass that someone else can pounce on or he will chase back the goalkeeper and force them to get into a position they don't want to be in, which leaves someone else with a tap in a couple of seconds later. He's he's a classic team forward in the way that Stephen Davis is a classic team midfielder. He won't get the glory moments often, but he will cause the team from almost behind the curtain to have the success that they have.
0: I mean, you say Darrell there about Shane Long being more, uh... Sort of attacking forward winger type player, and this season has had to play as a centre forward. But I've seen quite a bit of Sam Gallagher, who, uh, since Southampton have got on loan at Blackburn this season. Now, Blackburn have been relegated, um, from the Championship into League One, but I do actually think that one of the strengths of Blackburn this season the very little strengths they have had. It's been the performance of Sam Gallagher. He's got pace, he's got skill on the ball, but he's also got a tremendous physique. I mean, he's, he's six foot four, he's quite a hunky striker, he's a proper physical specimen of a player, and I hope that when he comes back to Saints, when he comes back to Southampton, he gets a chance
1: in the first team, wouldn't you say? He's definitely got a lot of attributes. I haven't followed so much of what he's done on loan, but he's... We do seem to historically have the knack of doing well with the target men. Um, we brought Shearer through um, to, in reverse, actually, Blackburn. We got James Beattie from Blackburn and he was a great success for us. Uh, before that, Kevin Davis as well. Um, I I find it unlikely that he is going to get the chance at Southampton. I feel like unless we from out of the blue cell, Gabbiadini, I think he is going to be the main man. Or we might sign another striker. That's an area where we don't really tend to trust youth as much as we do in defence and midfield. I think he'll, you might have a chance of getting him on loan again, but then dropping down a division that might make that un, uh, less likely.
0: Somebody who'll be interesting, he should be given a chance. But let's talk about the guy who, when he's been fit, obviously only came in in January. But let's talk about the guy who, when he's been fit, when he's been playing for Southampton, has been a pretty solid striker, that is Manolo Gabbiadini, who joined Saints from Napoli. I mean, what has been your take on Gabbi- Gabbiadini this season so far?
1: Ah, uh, Gabbiadini kind of hit the Premiership like a hurricane, to be honest with you. He was fantastic. If it weren't for bad officiating, I think he probably would have won us the EFL Cup final. Seemed to sc- He not only scored goals, but he scored really good goals. His first goal for us was a blast into the top corner with nothing to aim at. He's he's very clever. He's got that classic kind of continental movement where he just seems to appear somewhere where the defenders were not expecting him to. I really like him. He's not been in the best form since his injury, but again, he's been coming back from an injury that's it goes like that. And also the midfield hasn't been creating much for him, so I hold them partially responsible for it. I think he'll do well. I'm hoping that we won't make a fast sale on him in the summer, which some people have been talking about. Um, I think he's got at least another good season in him for us, Um, hopefully with the right signings to go in around him.
0: So just to close off, have you got any Saints players who we haven't mentioned on this podcast who you think are bright stars for the next season and beyond?
1: Um, Not so much emerging ones, as in... Ones that no one's noticed before. It's been a very kind of stable season. We have had a couple of players break through. Sam McQueen had some really good games at left back when we were in Europe. But as soon as we dropped out of Europe, we didn't need to rotate the squad as much. And he's dropped down the rankings a little bit there. But there might be a future in there for him as well. He's a good rotation option, certainly. But players who've really shone through, someone who... I think there are two who have done well this season who I've previously slated, um, those being Cedric Suarez and um, Maya Yoshida. Yoshida has been kind of the whipping boy. He's always he's always been third-choice centre-half, and he's the one who everyone kind of groans and rubs their temples a little bit when they realise he's going to play. But not this season. Poole has done a fantastic job of turning him into a really reliable premier league center half we have not missed jose font at all with yoshida out uh sorry with yoshida in and even with van dyke injured at first we just thought van dyke's making him look better same as font used to do with the likes of lovren but no yoshida shone even without van dyke there and he's really helped to bring through jack stevens sorry the name escaped me for a second there um jack stevens who has come in in van dyke's absence and he has really developed came through our system Uh, spent some time out on loan, but now he's actually established himself. I was really worried about going into the last half of the season with Van Dijk injured and Yoshida and Stevens as a pairing, but they've worked out really well. Um, So I think that we could definitely do with signing another center half. In the summer but not because those two have done so badly but because the strength the squad as a whole needs strengthening if i was to point at another player who's done really well for us this season i'd go for another defender um ryan bertrand probably the most underrated left back in the country definitely the most underrated left back in the country pacey strong really good going forward reliable in defense he creates goals he's chipped him with a couple of goals himself I think he's a fantastic option. Of course, you expect that from a former Champions League winning winger (laughs) under uh, Di Matteo at Chelsea. But he's really turned his career around with us.
0: Indeed, indeed. where can we find you? Are you writing on Southampton? Are you tweeting about Southampton? Where can we find you on social media to engage on Southampton even more?
1: Uh, You can find me on Twitter at at Lord Moloch. That's M-O-L-O-C-H. I did write a blog about Southampton about two years ago, but I really don't have the time for keeping that up to date nowadays. Yeah, just find me on Twitter and rant at me and tell me I'm wrong and pool needs to be sacked. It's fine. I'll only swear at you a little bit.
0: Indeed, we. Can, I'm sure hopefully you'll be spreading the saint's love with our followers on Twitter. It's been great having you on, Daryl. Thanks for coming on. I'm Ellis Palmer. I've been your host of this special edition of the WFI EPL weekly podcast, focusing on Southampton. You can find me on Twitter at palmer 94 You can find the podcast on Twitter at WFI. EPL Weekly. And you can also follow WFI, that's World Football Index, on Twitter at WorldFootball.i. Thank you very much for listening. Be be sure to check out the podcasts we've got on your feed and subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Over the next couple of days, we're going to have some fantastic podcasts coming. We're going to have one reviewing the Games at the weekend with Greg Lee. That's hopefully, I'm recording that tomorrow, so hopefully that'll be up at some point. We're going to have one as well, a very special one that I've been waiting weeks for, reviewing Manchester United season with Andrew Flint. Hopefully I can pull his leg a bit on that one. And we're going to have some other great podcasts coming up. So be sure to tune in and get your dose of WFI podcasts.